From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Thursday, June 30th. It might feel like there's always some kind of election happening in the U.S., and that's because there is. State and local elections can happen every year, while congressional midterms occur every other year, including this one. These elections allow U.S. voters to decide who will represent them, and they really matter. And because they really matter, crypto executives are spending significant amounts of money to try to influence them. In 2022, for the very first time, political spending by major figures in the crypto industry eclipsed the dollars being spent by traditional donors in big tech and big pharma. Today, Bloomberg reporter Alison Versbrill joins me to share her reporting on why crypto is emerging as a significant financial force in U.S. politics. Alison, thank you, as always, for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. U.S. political lobbying, bit of a hot topic, <laughs> especially <laughs> right now. Lots of people who, you know, spend lots of time writing checks to appropriate people or who they hope are the appropriate people to try to, if not control the outcome of a particular policy or piece of legislation, at least influence it in their favor. When we talk about U.S. political lobbying, who are some of the biggest players historically and why is this such a, an active subsector of politics, as it were? You know, when you talk about lobbying, I think I think everyone kind of thinks of of big pharma and uh, tech companies and def- the defense industry, private equity. Um, those are some of the ones that are usually the biggest spenders. And so, you know, I, I think they're good ones to compare to if you're if you're talking about whether or not a new industry like crypto is making a difference. So, is crypto making a difference? What happened this year? So this year, so far, the crypto industry is bypassing big tech, big pharma, defense. The only one that it is lagging behind and, and quite significantly lagging behind is private equity and other investment firms. Big Wall Street. <laughs> big Wall Street, yes, which may be not so surprising. <laughs> but so through uh, all the way through 2021 and the first three, the three months of this year, the crypto industry gave more than $26 million. And to give you a sense of that, comparing to some of these other industries, um, that compares to the $20 million in contributions from tech firms such as Alphabet, Google, Amazon, $7 million from drug makers, and $18.6 million from defense contractors. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I mean, private equity and investment firms still... A good deal higher than that, though. They gave nearly $76 million over that period. Um, But I think you can still draw from this that crypto is becoming a major player, at least in in giving money to uh, 
these candidates. I mean, especially in a short amount of time, right? Like that's like something like a 5,000% increase compared with the, the same period a year ago. Like what's driving this? So I think really, I mean, the, so I've talked to some folks who have said, and this might actually be a record year for crypto giving. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, the crypto industry is is facing a lot of scrutiny right now from Washington, from, you know, lawmakers, from regulators. So they have an interest in trying to uh, do some political giving, maybe buy themselves some goodwill and mm-hmm. get some regulations that they feel like they can they can live with. But mechanically or practically, what are these folks hoping to achieve? Like goodwill sounds great, but you can't really like put that on a billboard necessarily. <laughs> um, like what, what would success look like for them? So, you know, I've talked to uh, someone who works in campaigns and he and, you know, he gave kind of a, a rundown of what we're seeing so far in the crypto industry. And so, we do have a lot of crypto firms trying to, you know, give money to candidates, some relatively unknown uh, candidates, and having them really push pro-crypto policy during their races. Mm-hmm. And actually, this person who worked on campaigns was saying that may not be the most effective strategy because a, a lot of other entrenched industries, they kind of just give the money and then let the super PAC or let the candidate decide how best to use it to right. increase their odds of winning so that your money is actually uh, going somewhere. And so, so Alison, when you say a PAC, you know, that's a political action committee. It's, it's sort of a vehicle through which people can funnel money for political spending. Yes, that's correct. So the crypto folks are coming in and be like, do this specific thing. Here's $5 million. Yes, you see <laughs> you see, uh, you see, a decent amount of that happening. But I think it's worth noting that, that the biggest donor from the industry so far, Sam Bankman-Fried of, of the crypto exchange FTX, He's been giving uh, by far the the most amount of money, and he's kind of taken a different tactic. His focus has been so far on candidates with, you know, policies for preparing for the next pandemic, which he's told us is or told me that he feels like that's inevitable Mm -hmm. and that we didn't do a very good job responding to COVID-19. So that's kind of the policy that he's most focused on. This week, Bloomberg is taking a deeper look at the hunger crisis developing across the globe. The pandemic has upended food supply chains and eroded consumer purchasing power. With Sam Bankman-Fried, his big, he's been donating a lot through a super PAC. The PAC gave its biggest contribution thus far to a candidate in Oregon, over $11 million. I'm running for Congress because I want every Oregonian to have prosperity, security, and stability. And stability means protection from foreseeable, preventable disasters, such as pandemics, and to some extent, the inflation and all the effects that have come from the pandemic itself. And that did not work. Um, <laughs> uh, his name was Carrick Flynn, and he and he was a Democrat and a political newcomer, and he ended up losing that race. I think all of this is showing that the crypto industry, while giving a lot of money, still has a lot to learn about the ins and outs of politics and the best way, you know, to get the biggest bang for your buck, if you will. We're obviously not fully into the midterms. There are many more races to run. Where else is there crypto money sloshing around? So, you know, there is a lot of crypto money as well, um, sloshing around lobbying on Capitol Hill, um, people beefing up their, their firms to go and you know, talk to lawmakers, maybe sway policy on the legislation that we're seeing, some of the regulation that we're, you know, potentially may see from out of these agencies. So 
a lot of money also being spent on lobbying in addition to these political contributions. You've written as well with some other colleagues of ours at Bloomberg about state level lobbying, where, you know, folks who are, say, based in New York want to make sure that New York specific regulations apply to them in ways that they find amenable. Where do these lines kind of blur? Like, when does something stop being kind of state specific and get more national? Or does national also help you at the state level? So it's interesting. I mean, I I think obviously places like New York have have gotten a lot of attention with their bit license and some of the regulation that they have in place. Yesterday, the state's top financial regulator unveiled the bit license. These are regulations designed to protect consumers and improve cybersecurity practices for the digital currency. And folks will say that, you know, the the regulation at the state level could potentially influence what the federal government does. Um, So you might see some blending of the lines in that sense. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of these big players, they are focusing primarily on who gets into these federal seats. Mm -hmm. Um, So U.S. House reps, U.S. senators will probably see a lot of similar trends when the presidential race comes back around. And I think that's because Right now, there is so much action at the federal level. We're seeing the the legislation from Senators Lummis and Gillibrand to regulate the industry. We're expecting a lot more bills later in this year. Senators have talked about being potentially optimistic about stablecoin legislation <laughs> before the end of this year. I will be stunned. Uh, call, yeah, call me a skeptic on it, but, you know, I, I've been surprised before by Congress. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think we are seeing a lot of the big names giving a lot on the federal uh, side of things. We'll be right back with more from Bloomberg reporter Alison Versprell on crypto's biggest political contributors. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Is there anything about any of this that has surprised you? I mean, I do think the, as you delicately put it, the relative inexperience of some of these folks as it relates to how politics is really, really works and is made. But is there anything else that you have seen that you're like, that's weird? I think it's really interesting how much spending we're seeing in the primaries, right? Because it's it's an interesting strategy. I feel like there are a, a good number of donors who say, you know what, I'll wait till the general election. I'll wait to see when I have a, a better chance of, mm-hmm. of putting my money towards someone who will actually end up being in one of these seats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we I actually did ask uh, Sam Bankman-Fried about this, why he has put so much money into primary races. And his response was that he felt if you were very issue-focused, like he says he is with this pandemic preparedness sort of focus, that he thinks the primaries are important and that the issues that people are uh, focused on can be very different when you're at that level. I mean, he's not wrong from a, right. <laughs> the psychology of the primary voter. Like if, if you are sufficiently motivated to register early, jump through the additional sets of hoops about, you know, showing up at the right place at the right time, you tend to be a certain kind of highly motivated, issue-oriented person for sure. 
Right. And and he was making the case that if you are more focused on just having either a Democrat or a Republican win, mm-hmm. then maybe your maybe your strategy is different. Maybe your strategy is to wait till the general election. So I, I think that's an interesting point out of all of this is that this is a lot of money and we haven't even gotten to the generals yet. <laughs> well, we shall see if crypto prices allow folks to keep spending this kind of money. Yes, that was also a point that someone raised to me was uh, whether or not we would continue seeing the, the level of spending. I will say it, it's interesting, though, I was talking to someone who was like, well, I think I think this could make a difference for the millionaires who are <laughs> donating to the <laughs> To the midterms, but was saying, you know, for the billionaires, people like Sam Bingman Freed, probably not going to make that much of a difference. And so, I right, did. the real money will be fine. <laughs> right. And I and I actually talked to the spokesman for his for the super PAC that he's put his most of his money through protect our future. And uh, I asked, you know, have you had conversations with Sam Bingman Freed where the strategy has changed at all just because the market's uh, gone down, you know, he's lost some of his wealth. And the spokesperson basically said that has not entered into our conversations of yet. And that was after the Terra collapse. Now I haven't had a chance to circle back since uh, the recent activities we're seeing in the market. It seems like, uh, at least for these really big spenders, that we might not see too much of a difference. Have any of the folks who are spending all this money lobbying had any successes? So I think, well, when it comes to the political spending, if you look at uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's donations, yes, the biggest contribution that was made through his super PAC um, was unsuccessful. But there were a lot of candidates that the PAC donated to that did win. So, you know, they say they're changing, they change the strategy going forward. You focus on those folks that that have won. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so maybe some potential successes there. And they've also said they've learned some lessons about kind of local dynamics in some of these states that, right. that maybe they didn't know before. On the lobbying side, I will say, you know, we, we saw most of the uptick in lobbying after the infrastructure bill was introduced last year. The infrastructure bill that will create millions of jobs rebuilding the arteries of our economy. And the, just to pause there, the infrastructure bill, which had crypto elements in it. Yes. So the infrastructure bill would have new reporting requirements for brokers. So exchanges like Coinbase and, you know, even maybe some DeFi exchanges. It's kind of unclear. And so basically this bill, there was a big outcry after it was introduced among the industry players because they said that it was the the language was way too broad. It defined Mm -hmm. brokers in such a way that they said, oh, this could pull in crypto miners, crypto stakers, you know, folks who who validate transactions on the blockchain. And um, they also said, said it could pull in software developers. And so there was a really big, heavy push from the industry to try to get this, this language rewritten. And what I will say is, it was not successful, but in the short period of time where the lobbying happened, they made much more of an impact than maybe you would have thought. Like it got very, very close to passing and basically didn't get into the final version of the bill on a technicality where a senator had raised objections about unrelated military spending. (laughs) Um, And so... (laughs) Classic. And so, and it almost got through on unanimous consent. So every senator agreeing that there should be a change in this bill. I think that is pretty significant for an industry 
that did very little lobbying before this uh, this issue was came to the forefront. Um, and since then, we've just continued to see more and more spending. And you've seen that issue is has continued to be one that some senators and House reps have continued to take on. A, a change to that provision is included in the bill that Senators Lummis and Gillibrand introduced in the Senate. Uh, we also saw Treasury put a letter out saying that in their regulations, they don't intend to sweep in, you know, these other entities that the industry was so worried about. Which is language that may not have existed had folks not pushed against it in the previous infrastructure bill. Oh, absolutely not. Got I mean, it. I think <laughs> I think the government's The government's desire is always for something to be as broad as possible to give them kind of the biggest, uh, (laughs) the the biggest stick, if you will, in sort of enforcing what they want to do. And so I think it's pretty significant that we see the administration putting this, like, you know, clearly senators were also pushing on them to, to provide some clarification. So I think it's pretty significant that we saw this letter and we saw this kind of you know, walk back, um, even though the legislation may be broad enough for them to take a very sweeping approach. Thank you, Allison. You can find more of her reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com or follow her on Twitter. She's Ali Versprill. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, one of the most closely watched fights in crypto might sound a little obscure, but it's really important. It pits a company called Grayscale Investments against the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a crucial regulator in the space. And it involves so-called exchange-traded funds, an extremely popular type of investment vehicle. And especially at the center of it all is Bitcoin, the largest and most liquid of the cryptos. Bloomberg reporter Katie Greifeld joins me to unravel why this fight is so important to the future of crypto markets. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net, and you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of this episode is Vicky Vergalina. Associate producer is Zanab Siddiqui. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Bloomberg's head of podcasts is Francesca Levy. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.